you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. The hottest podcast in the world. Ouch, I burn myself. Oh, That's gotta be the best intro the I've heard. I love it. Absolutely love Ouch, it. I burn myself. Ah. I just I flubbed the whole thing there. Hey guys, well, this is Chris Voss. I'm the host. If you haven't seen me in the last 14 years, I'm the host of the stupid show, the Chris Voss show. It's not stupid. I'm stupid. Anyway, guys, the, welcome to the big show. We certainly appreciate you guys. Welcome to the show and the family that loves you, the Chris Voss show family that loves you, but doesn't judge you. Is at least not as harshly as people do when I flub up the intro to the show and just improv something that's totally stupid and doesn't make any sense. But that's the beauty of it. You never know what's going to happen to Ramble. We have an amazing author and brilliant mind on the show, and it's clearly not me. Uh, David Jennings is on the show with us today. He's coming to us all the way from Australia. Uh, that's not even right. That's not even an Australian accent. But uh, we're going to get to him and his Australian accent and his brilliant business book that he wrote. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But in the meantime, guilt your family, friends, and relatives to join your MLM downline of the Chris Voss Show. There's no MLM. You don't have to do that. But uh, you should have five people in your downline, though, seriously. And tell them to go to YouTube.com for it says Chris Voss. Goodreads.com for it says Chris Voss. And the LinkedIn, the LinkedIn newsletter. How many of you subscribe to that? Like, uh, do it. Do it now or else. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, he's the author of the amazing book. August 18th, 2020, it came out. We we're excited to have him on the show because he's a brilliant mind in this category of business. Uh, the book is entitled Systemology, Create Time, Reduce Errors, and Scale Your Profits with Proven Business Systems. David Jennings, uh, once again, is on the show today, and we're excited to have him. Uh, he is an experienced entrepreneur who sold the Melbourne cricket ground in his early 20s and founded melbourne seo services he systemized himself out of that business in 2016 and founded systemology to help business uh, owners implement systems to create to scale their businesses today he supports a growing community of certified systemologists uh, delivers workshops keynote addresses hosts a podcast and is on a mission from God. No, I'm just kidding. That's the line from Blues Brothers. He's on a mission to free business owners worldwide from daily operations. Welcome to the show, David. How are you? Awesome. Pleasure to be here. There you go. So what is this systemology? This sounds like a cult. Is there a cult going on here, religion or something? It is the cult of business systems. Uh, it's, I think once you're converted, you'll never go back. It's oh, uh, most definitely addictive. Jeez, I got to join another one. Uh, yeah, how much? How much is it going to cost me? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, give us your .com so people can find you on the winners, please. Yes, so just systemology.com, or probably best thing to do, just head to Amazon and search for the book. It's on there. Yeah, I've been needing a religion. Do I have to sacrifice any virgins in this one? Because the old one isn't working out, evidently. Uh, uh, just no more forms. of that. Oh, just okay. children. Just children. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, and you're coming all the way from uh, Melbourne. Is, are you coming from Melbourne? I know that you. Spend some yes. time there, I guess. Yeah, yep. So it right. is start right. of the day for me, the end of the day for you. 
There you go. And your toilets go the other way. We already had a discussion in the green room about Vegemite, so we won't resurrect what horrible stuff that is, according to my opinion, but not yours. Um, anyway, <laughs> I tease my Australian friends. I love them. So give us an overview, David, of this book and what's inside of it. Mm. Well, most business owners, they get stuck in the day-to-day operations. They mm. build a business delivering the product or service, and then they end up basically getting chained to the business, which is oftentimes like the complete opposite of the reason they started business. They were looking for freedom and building something that they had control over, but the business ultimately controls them for many. So uh, what systemology is about is a a system for systemizing business. So I've read a few books like many of your listeners, things like The E-Myth and Traction and Scaling Up, and a lot of them, they all talk about systems and processes you've got to document things so you can pass them off to your team but i i never really knew where to get started or how to do it and truth be known i i didn't even like documentation and writing systems and processes so i was kind of like well how how am i going to get this done and that that really kind of birthed this idea of systemology and the the seven steps to systemize a business ah seems pretty cool uh you know i i just got used to as an entrepreneur you know the whole bondage effect of it i just think of it as bdsm and abuse uh and that's you know when you say you're chained to your business that's kind of my chain. I'm just chaining my business. I just, <laughs> I just take it as abuse and go. Oh, I should derive some Mostly. sort of pleasure from this abuse, but I don't. But and, and I don't believe know. it or not, you're not even uh, alone with that. Most business owners, they just end up grinding it out and going, "That's just the way it is." <laughs> yeah, it's kind of. It's kind of it's kind of where you're at. It's it's kind of like being in a marriage for 20 years. You're just like, oh, fuck, just another day. Kill me now. Uh, the uh, there's an old bit there from uh, uh, Sam Kinison. Kill me now. Stop. <laughs> if anybody remembers that old Letterman uh, thing where he's walking the cart. Anyway, uh, obscure reference for those of you who are Gen Zers. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your history. Let's get an origin story, if you don't mind, out of you, so we can get a little idea. What what is the Melbourne Cricket Ground? Because uh, mm. over here in the states, we don't give a shit about anything else that's outside of us but so give us a little bit more details on. on that you guys love sport almost as much as we do we're like and the mcg is like uh the vatican of sport oh. here in australia it's like oh. our our hallowed ground our magical turf so um when i was just leaving school i was you know budding young entrepreneur wanted to take over the world i read a book called the one minute millionaire and mm. it told this story of a guy called Paul Hartunian who sh- uh, sold the Brooklyn Bridge for 1995. They were doing renovations. He got his hands on a bunch of wood, chopped it up into pieces, and then sold it off as little pieces on certificate paper. So I just read this story, and then I was driving past the MCG, and I saw a big gaping hole in one side of it because they'd basically knocked down an entire stand. And I went and got myself uh, as much discarded wood and carpet as I could. And I wrote a press release saying, Melbourne man sells the MCG for 1995. And then I sent it off to all of the media outlets. And then I just got mobbed for a good few months. Uh, and basically, they did a whole bunch of little news stories and things like that. And I copied Paul Hartunian. I chopped it into pieces, stuck it to certificate paper. And then I mailed little pieces of the MCG out. Did you get any uh, calls from attorneys? Here in, here in the States, you get a and d You get a cease and desist. I, I did. I got two. <laughs> I got um, one from uh, the MCG because initially I'd used in my domain name, it was 
um, own uh, the MCG, uh, which they didn't like because it was a trademark term. Oh. So I had to make it own the G. So that mm -hmm. was a, a minor name change. Uh, and then I also got one uh, afterwards, but it was a little bit too late. Every time uh, that the MCG afterwards uh, would demolish a stand because they did a complete renovation. Uh, that was the last <laughs> time that they let any of this wooden stuff go. And then they started auctioning it off as well. So I kind you of turned it into a thing. Wow. Yes. Wow. That is funny as crap. Cause uh, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, we have like stadiums here and they'll sell like the seats and stuff like that. Some people collect them. I don't know why. Um, I, I still have like loads of it sitting at mums. Here's a little piece. Do you right really? There. Wow. See, it's just little, that was a slither. So this was taken uh, from one big long plank and I would basically sell that for 20 bucks and people loved it. Damn. And then you're like, I, I own a piece of the team. Yeah, uh, there it. you go. That's pretty awesome. And then you move from that into, uh, I think, SEO services. Mm, so I, like any budding young entrepreneur, I tried my hands on many different things. And then I, I settled in the digital agency for quite some time. I got some really good traction there. It was early days of search engine optimization. It was really easy. It was a bit like Midas. Everything you would touch would turn to gold because you just would over-optimize pages and send a bunch of backlinks to it and it would do really well for local businesses. So that was uh, the heyday for me. And I, But I got stuck in that business. Like mm -hmm. I, I really was on the tools. I was learning the stuff inside and out. I built a small team around me, but every problem, whether it was with clients or team or anything, it would just fall back on me. Oh, wow. um, and it was kind of like, I feel like it was living a bit of Groundhog Day. I was solving the same problems, doing the same thing again and again and again for about 10 years until oh, wow. uh, we found out we were pregnant. And then I had that moment where I was like, because I was working really long hours, 60, 70 hours um, a week. And I was kind of like, I don't want to be that dad who's always too busy. i got to figure out how I break this mold. And that's kind of when I went on the search and thought, huh. no, I've got to change this. See, I like being the dad who's too busy because they don't return your calls or ask for money. But that's, <laughs> oh, I don't have kids. That's why. Uh, so there's that. Uh, so this is really interesting. So at, at one point, it says here that you uh, reached a point where you moved to the beach and tripled your business. At what point was that? That was just when we found out we were pregnant. <laughs> I ended up taking... I knew I had a, a nine-month runway. So I focused heavily on systemizing. And I had a lady in the team that was a prime candidate for running the show. And I kind of knew it, but we kind of had groomed her into that, documented a lot of the processes. I removed myself, ended up taking uh, a year off uh, once or shortly after our first arrived. And then we had mm -hmm. a, a second. Um, and then we moved down the coast. Um, and I just completely rewired my brain for the way that business can work and it's po possible to own a, a profitable enterprise that works without you. Whereas up until then, all of the businesses that I'd been involved in, it was just me doing the thing, grinding wow. it out. And it was kind of like that little connection and that switch. And that's when I kind of thought, you know what, if I, if I was going to start a business from scratch, something that had meaning and the digital agency was getting run by Melissa, I thought, uh, what would I want to do? And I thought, how about I, I bottle this whole idea of systems and the approach I used to remove myself? And that's when systemology got birthed. And 
uh, Melbourne SEO ran after that for about three years. But then mm-hmm. um, Melissa uh, was born out of Atlanta in the States and oh. she had to go fly back to the US. She was here in Melbourne and then kind of at a crossroads. She needed to move back and, and uh, couldn't run the, the business. And I was like, well, I don't really want to get sucked back into that business. So we ended up selling Melbourne SEO services. Oh, so that business nice. uh, got sold. And again, that kind of felt like that was a completion for or, or the bookend for that particular part of my life. And, and now I've kind of shifted gears into the system side of things. There you go. So systemology builds itself as solving the problem with a proven step-by-step business systemization framework designed so that even the busiest business owner can deploy it. And you talk about one of the problems that I always had. And I think a lot of people have, you ever seen that, that uh, like guy who spins plates and he's got like a whole bunch of plates on stage and he's, he's got a little pole that spins the plates and he has to keep running up and down, keeping the plates spinning and, you know, adjusting them and stuff. Yeah. That's kind of, I felt, or kind of like, you yeah. know, one of those guys in a ship where you're, you're trying to stick your finger in all the holes or a dike, a dam where you're trying to, you're over in Dutch land or whatever, trying to, you know, poke all the yeah. holes and, and fill them. And you, you know, eventually you run out of fingers. You're like, ah, great. We're now we're going to flood for sure. Yeah. That, and that's such a, a common problem business owners feel Mm -hmm. that way. And then oftentimes they'll even think to themselves, ah, maybe I just need more staff to solve this problem. And then they hire more staff, but then Mm -hmm. that just means you've got another plate to spin because now you've got to keep them busy and load them up with tasks and let them do their thing. And you work through a bunch of team members, but before you even get to your work, the first person, you've got to go back to the start and load them up again. So it's, it's a very common problem and, that's the the circuit breaker here is to identify the essential, repeatable, uh, delegatable tasks, capture them and Mm -hmm. systemize and codify them. So that way they can get delivered to a certain standard. That way new team members can come on board and they can follow this new process. And that's how they get up to speed without needing you know, high-valued, highly skilled team members looking over their shoulders, watching their every single move, um, and that then takes them away from doing their highest-value tasks. Mm-hmm. And it starts with the business owner, but it's it's the same with all great team members. Uh, they, they just get busy in that day-to-day operations, and you have to find a way to be able to capture what you're doing and delegate it down. There you go. You know, the, the hardest part, I, I, I was lucky uh, with my 13-year uh, business partner and uh, that we built a lot of companies with, and uh, we've been best friends for 22 years. Um, and I was lucky that I could be the visionary CEO. So I could go out and vision stuff, and I could, I could kind of build the systems, and I could give them to him, and he would do it. And he was good at the rudimentary, boring, day-to-day stuff. He liked that. Like if you asked him for ideas or, Hey, you know, you got any ideas? He'd be like, he'd just look at you the bank store like, I got nothing, man. And it was kind of that way. Um, but he was really great. Uh, someone I could trust and someone who could do everything, uh, all the time over and over and over again. And he liked that. It was very comfortable for him and he was very good at it. And so we made a great team because we had, you know, he could implement the systems that I would design, uh, and improve on them. And then I would uh, be the visionary running around like a crazy head going, I have a vision! 
and people would be yeah, like, you sign you the drugs. found the perfect combination. And uh, I think a lot of business owners need to work towards that for sure. And yeah. it's something that uh, Gino Wickman talks about in a book he wrote called Rocket Fuel. And he talks about the visionary and he calls it the integrator. Michael mm. Gerber used to talk about it as the leader and the manager. And it's this idea, the, the visionary who can go out and see the problems in the world and figure out the solutions and come up with the first ver first version prototype and, you know, win some of those clients. And then, yes, the ultimate is having someone who catches something on the back end of all of the work that you're doing and then mm. takes it through to completion and delivers on the promises that you make to the clients and helps to manage the team and get things in place. And oftentimes the skills required, and I think that's really what I speak to with systemology, uh, being a visionary creative like you, uh, I I didn't fall in love with writing systems and processes. I fell in love with the result of what the systems and processes bring. Mm -hmm. So I try and bridge that gap for the visionary creative and go, hey, you might not see yourself as a systems person, but that doesn't mean you can't own a systems-driven business. Mm -hmm. You just need to find the yin to your yang and you need to set up some processes and you need to recruit and find the right people who can then complement the areas that you might be weaker in. Most definitely. Uh, and so you help people with simple strategies to uh, follow your systems, uh, even stubborn ones. Is there like, is that for employees that don't want to follow the systems? Pretty much. When, when ah, you first start, don't you just fire those people? <laughs> Some people do, but you need to sugarcoat it. So it's ah, a little bit the nice spin. firing them. Yeah. But or as we like to call it, leadership. <laughs> <laughs> you give them every opportunity and you set it up uh, so that they can jump on board. But there are some people who just aren't systems-minded. And um, I, I tell this story. I had um, my, my dad created a thing called the sheet which was for my brother and I, and it was the very first system that I ever saw. I was eight years old at the time, and Dad gamified everything for us where he basically said, clean your bedroom, get 10 points. Go to bed by this time, get 20 points. Yeah, Be good to your brother, get 30 points. And he, over the course of the week, you would earn points for all of these activities. That is and then, awesome. Yeah, then, then it would get added up, and then at the end of the week, he had this little scoring legend which would then determine how much money you made. Now, Dude, you need to make a book on that for parents. <laughs> I do. Because in my household, it was like, uh, oh, you want to make your bed? Uh, there's going to be the beating. Uh, you know, I'm just kidding. See, that, but, you know, dad, ways, would, dad would rattle his belt and pretend like he was taking it off. He'd give that belt shake, and you'd be like, yes. ah, shit, he's going to take it off. I'm, I better go do what he says. Yep, yep. There are two ways to lead. So that's That's, that's yeah. true. I like your way better, though. <laughs> that's right. So... I, we'd learn these points. But what I found really interesting was I, I embraced the sheet. I learned how to play the game. I played it full out and I got maximum money to the point where dad said, hey, you're going to bleed me dry with how much money I'm paying out. But my brother on the flip side was the complete opposite. He hated the sheet. He didn't want to play the game. He didn't do anything. So he went one way, I went the other. And it made me realize some people are systems minded and some aren't. And in your family, you don't get to choose. But That's in business, true. you do. It's your mm -hmm. business. So choose people who fit with the way that you want to run your business because that's mm -hmm. your choice as a business owner. And if you do that, it'll make your life easier. 
It definitely will because uh, you know you 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 just fire those people, get them out of your way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm horrible. But even that. like avoid them up front. Like if you build a good recruitment system that mm-hmm. screens them up front, and you ask some questions and share some systems and processes, and say this is the type of thing that you're going to be doing day to day, and you tell it to them right up front. It repels those who don't fit with that culture and it attracts those that do. So part of the secret is in the recruitment up front, but then the other challenge, which is what the book also speaks to, that resistance, the stubborn staff, which are the ones that have been with you for, you know, five years, 10 years before you've introduced this systems culture. And that's the hardest bit. It's how do you change people who are already stuck in their ways? And like you said, maybe you just fire them. (laughs) Yeah, write them up, whatever. They sure handle that business. But yeah, if you hire well, you're going to do well. So one of the there's a lot of details uh, in the book that people should read. Uh, But uh, one of the things you you found that uh, systems centered businesses get higher multiples and sell for top dollar. I think people want to know how to get higher multiples yeah. in the company. So tease out a little bit of that, if you would, please. Mm. So a great example of this, we had a, a lady called Jeanette Farron who runs a business called Diggy Doggy Daycare. And it was a doggy daycare center. People would go and drop their dog off for the day and they'd look after them, walk them, feed them, do all the rest while the human would go off to work. So, that's what I do and, with my kids. Yeah, I'm that's sure. right. Just I have them walk. Them off. Um, and... Her business was really great. She'd been running it for, uh, I think it was 13 years, and Mm -hmm. she'd been running it with her sister, and she got towards the end where she kind of went, look, I've kind of had enough. They built up uh, the location, and it was performing really well, and she started to think about an exit. And she Mm -hmm. knew that the two things that the acquirer is going to look for is financial performance and for the bigger acquirers, they want to go, is there a system and a process where – even if the key team members leave, the business will continue to function. So a way to de-risk a purchase, which increases the value, is to have systems and processes because it then makes it easier for the business to continue to operate. So Mm -hmm. she went through this process over the course of 12 months where she um, improved the financial performance, stepped out of the day-to-day, documented all of the processes, and then ultimately got acquired by a company called Petstock, which is a big listed company here in Australia, and she got a very high multiple. And the reason they bought it, they said, look, uh, it was the financial performance in the systems. And they said, what we want to do is we see your store as a franchise prototype, and we want to roll this out and basically put Diggy Doggy daycare stores inside our bigger pet stock stores all around Australia. So they, they bought it as a franchise prototype. And that really will get you the highest multiples. And whether or not you're bought by some big corporate or you're bought by Joe Bloggs down the street, any mm-hmm. buyer wants to make sure that the business is going to continue to run after you walk out the door. And the systems and the processes is a way to to offer that level of security, which then increases the amount of money they're going to be happy to pay for the business. That is awesome, man. I mean, that's it's it's really all about that, and and uh, you know, constantly improving systems. That was the other big challenge I had. I was constantly dealing with, uh, you know, I build systems, put them in place. Sometimes they run for ten years, sometimes they use for a year, a month, and you'd be like. You'd be like, hey, man, uh, is that thing working uh, anymore? And all of a sudden, it would stop working. You'd have to go in and replace it. How do you deal with stuff like that where, 
you know, suddenly a system works and then you got to go back in and rehack it or redesign yeah. or re-innovate it. Yeah. So partly you want to build a systems culture. So part of it is the way that you train your team. And once you've got a certain base level of systems in place, we call it minimum viable systems. What is the minimum number of systems required to run your business? You get that into place. Mm -hmm. Then what you want to do is you put some systems in place to identify issues when they pop up. And you have a way that you review them. So maybe you have, you know, uh, Gino Wickman talks about an issues list and you review it on a team meeting. Maybe that's once a week or once a uh, month or once a quarter. And you look at the problems and you think about them in terms of uh, systems-based solutions. Mm -hmm. So, ah, the clients, they just keep on not paying their invoices, and that's a real challenge for cash flow. Okay, well, how, how can we improve this system? Well, you know, and then you have a discussion and you go, what, what could we do? Can we set up some reminders or do we build them up front or do we put them on credit card? Like it, it, it comes down to identifying issues and having a way that that's done, a way that that's then discussed, and when you discuss it, looking for the solution, it's about thinking, how do we make the change at the system level as opposed to just dealing with the symptom or the, the top level case of, oh, yes, this client's not following. How do we follow up, um, you know, Jane Doe because she hasn't paid her invoice? You want to get down to what's actually causing this and make the change at that level. Yeah, the systems can be boring sometimes. I think that's what a lot of people have issues with is you know the slowness uh, the, the boringness of a system like building it out who oversees it like as an entrepreneur you you don't want to get caught up in all that minutia you're just kind of like yeah. hey man somebody else do this and i don't have to deal with yeah. it and yeah. like business owners do their best work when they're creative solving problems they actually get tired and lose their entrepreneurial mojo when they're solving the same problem over and over and again they're doing the same thing day in and day out so systems mm -hmm. is actually a way out of that because if you put a system in place then you can solve a problem once or for a very long period of time and then that enables you to move up to a higher quality problem so the key is actually to create a way that you as a business owner can install a system in the least possible moves with the so you just come up with the idea and then you know we we have a thing we call systems champions and you you build up a team member whose responsibility it is to take your ideas help to codify it help to share it and roll it out and then again depending on the size of the team maybe you have an operations person or someone like you had your the yin to your yang that then helps to oversee the team and the execution so a big part of it is just how do we take away the bits that you don't like and get someone else to do it? And you, you it still needs to be done. So, it, I mean, business, a lot of, like, you want to focus on areas where you're strongest, like focus on your strengths and then find the team members who can then fill in the gaps for the weaknesses, but don't ignore them. Yeah. Especially, you want, you want to make sure they do the job too, so don't ignore them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this definitely frees up your time and creates more time that you have to uh, to work on the business and to try yeah. and get everything going that way. So that's that's really important when it comes down to it. Uh, so this has been pretty insightful. Anything I missed that I should have asked you about or anything we want to touch on or tease out before we go? Yeah. Look, the main thing is just I hope we've been able to light a fire inside the business owner today where 
maybe they thought about systems before or they tried it and, and didn't work or they've reached the conclusion that it's not for them. I, I want them to go, you know what, this is possible. I can maybe there's a better way. Mm. Maybe I'll give this a go. And that's like if we've achieved that, um, then, yeah, I think uh, they'll be on the path. I be, the, the only probably other thing, and we could touch on it very quickly, just the high level, maybe seven steps of systemology. I could whip through those because that kind of gives a bit yeah. of a summary of what the book is. Let's do. Yeah. So the, the seven steps, the first one is just define, which is you've got to identify the 10 systems that you want to start with first because there's lots of things you could do. You just need to figure out, well, where are you going to start? And there's a process mm -hmm. for that we call the critical client flow. Then step number two is assign. That's where we think about who on the team knows how to do this already to a pretty good standard. And let's just capture that. Let's not try and make it perfect or the way that we would like it to be. Let's just capture what is currently happening and figure out who knows how to do that. If Jenny knows how to answer the phone and she does a pretty good job, well, great. Let's record the system around the way that Jenny answers the phone. Oh, so that's step number two. Step number three is extract, which is how do we then get the knowledge out of the brain of those team members? And the real secret there is to make it a two-person job. So mm -hmm. someone who knows how to do the thing, Jenny, but then maybe get someone else who's your system's champion who can then watch the way that Jenny does it. Maybe she records a video or maybe she does a little audio dictation or whatever it ends up being. Just make it really easy for Jenny to get it out of her head and then have someone else document it. So that's step number three. Step number four is then organize, which is where is this knowledge going to sit? Like you want to have it centrally located so everybody on the team can get to it when they need it. Mm -hmm. Then uh, step number... Uh, five is integrate. That's how do we get the team on board? How do we get them to buy in? And the secret there is just, just frame everything in terms of um, the benefit to the team member. Quit thinking about systems like, hey, the systems are going to uh, make me rich as a business owner and I'll be able to sell my business for a high multiple. And like, how does it make the team member's life better? Mm -hmm. And then step number six is what we say is scale. And that's all about, well, what are the systems in addition to those 10 systems that we identified up front that are important? Things like recruitment and onboarding and some finance systems. And then the last step in systemology is optimize, which is uh, now that you uh, have your minimum viable systems in place, how do you then create the, the system to listen to your business? And much like what we talked about on earlier, which is how do you identify issues and how do you solve them at the systems level? But if you follow those seven steps, that kind of takes you from, I don't really have any systems in place to now I've got the minimum set of systems I need to run my business. There you go. Hey, you know, this is really insightful and it, it's something that people really have trouble with, especially I think if you're a visionary CEO, you know, you like the design, you like coming up with the idea, but then the minutia of it, the the work, the the breakdown of the systems, and you're just like, uh, you know, I would just, you know, my, I, like I said, I was lucky enough to have a really good business partner who could manage that stuff. And if you're smart enough, you can hire the people that can really apply that and make it work. But, you know, you've got to be able to monitor things. Like I used to, I wrote about this in my book and I, I used to walk in, I learned this from being an entrepreneur at my first company uh, where I was an entrepreneur 
inside of a big corporation that was a mine. And I learned to walk around uh, our systems and departments and go, hey, why, why are we doing this way? And they'd be like, uh, I don't know. We always did it this way. So guy, Bob Foreman taught do it this way. So we always do it this way. And be like, you know, there's some pieces here that I think we could innovate and take that piece out of the system and process and this system and maybe change that a little bit and take out some of the steps and end up saving some money and some and some speeding things up a little bit. They'd be like, oh, that's a that's a good idea there. Uh, <laughs> and so I had that talent which transposed yeah. itself into my business. Um, and being able to look at things, you know, I sometimes I would walk into my company and be like. Who the hell designed this stupid ass system? And they'd be like, uh, uh, you did? And I'd be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy's dumb. Sometimes I'd sit and look at it and go, okay, well, there's some ways we can constantly, you know, you, you constantly need to be improving things because if you don't, your competitors will. Yeah. And then sometimes I'd look at it and analyze it and I go, huh, oh, this is a pretty good system. Uh, yeah, this, whoever designed this was pretty smart. Me. <laughs> and, uh, but most times it was like, well, what what did you do? But yeah, there's always ways to improve everything, and it in constant change, constant change. I mean, and you just hit the nail on the head on what the business owner should be doing. And even when you were uh, an entrepreneur, like it's the same thing. Like your mind is wired that way, mm-hmm. so you want to create the systems and the machine around you to allow you to do that, mm-hmm. because not everybody can think like that. And it's how do we take the ideas out of the business owner's head, capture that, and then make sure that it can be delegated down or passed on or on-trained to another team member. And that's that's really what you've got to figure out because that then helps you grow and scale. It does. It, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where... You know, you, you, it used to frustrate me. My old CEO could walk into the room and you could have been working for two months on something, trying to resolve something. And he had that fresh look that he would bring to some sort of system. And he'd walk in and be like, uh, what are you doing there? I'm like, Hey, we're building this thing and we can't get it to work. And he'd be like, ah, you do that and over there and that'll work. Oh, see you. Bye. And you'd just be like, motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> you know, but you had those fresh eyes and yeah. that was his real trick. He could come in, but he also had a trick that I learned where he could see outside of the box. And so yeah. he could look at things from the outside and not be lost in, inside the, uh, cog of the wheel or the minutiae or, yeah. and do that. So really brilliant. Uh, so uh, give us uh, your.com or people can find yeah. you on the interwebs and get to know more about you. Yeah, so it's Systemology, so that's just system and then O-L-O-G-Y dot com. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, if you're listening to this, uh, definitely check out. We have an audio version of the book as well. So if you oh. go to Amazon, it'll have a link through to Audible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I voice it, and I was uh, had the good fortune of also having Michael Gerber, the author of The E-Myth, kind of like the granddaddy of business systems. He wrote the foreword to the book, and he oh. reads that as well. So it's a, a pretty cool foreword. Nice, nice. Uh, so thank you very much, David, for coming on the show. Very insightful. We love it. See if you can do something about that Vegemite or something over there in Australia. But other than that, we love oh, we love our Australian friends. They're wonderful people, even though this way let's go the different direction. Uh, I often say that I need to move there during the winter because you guys have the opposite you yep. know, of what we have with winter and summer. And uh, I see all my Australian friends when it's cold here in winter in the U.S., I see all my Australian friends down there. It's 100 degrees or whatever. You know, have fun. I'm just like, oh, man, I hate my life. Plus, you guys have such a beautiful country down there, except for the spiders and the everything that can kill you, which is everything, yes. evidently. So there's that. 
I, Thank I, you very I, much for coming. It's, it's a good part of the world. So it definitely is. It definitely is. Uh, so uh, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate. It. Thanks, Monis, for tuning in. Order of the book wherever fine books are sold. Uh, it's uh, systemology. Create time, reduce errors, and scale your profits with proven business systems. I highly recommend it. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time. And that should have us out, David.